Welcome to Days of Roar, the Detroit Tigers podcast brought to you by the Detroit Free Press. My name is Mark Gorash. I am here today with special guest from Locked On Tigers, Scott Bentley. Evan Petzold is parts unknown with Savannah. Got married Friday night. May never come back. <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> I do know he is one happy man. Did get a text or two from him. And uh, he will be sorely missed, but I can't think of a better person to talk about the Detroit Tigers, the Detroit Tigers season, and the Detroit Tigers' future than Scott Bentley, who does this so many times a week that he should get some type of medal. <laughs> so how you doing, Scott? I'm doing well, man. I'm, I'm glad we finally got to work this out and, and do, I mean, but, you know, long time coming uh, as far as just crossing paths. So I'm, I'm glad to be here. I'm... Uh, I'm sure we'll chop up some in the uh, in the winter and the off season too when when Ev is here. And congratulations to Evan, obviously, big deal. Oh yeah, Ev, Ev. I don't, you know, he as we all do, and I have did forty years ago. Uh, Ev, Ev married up. Let's just say that, <laughs> and he's a happy man about it. We talked a little bit about it last week. I hear everything went great. And I hope he's having a great time. I think he's going to be back next week and he can give us full details on uh, the big night and the rehearsal dinner and how Mark broke his television <laughs> on Thursday when he brought it downtown. And we'll talk about, we'll save that story for Evan. But uh, so we, uh, we had a pretty decent week. It uh, We got to play the Chicago White Sox, which is never a bad thing. Had a few games in New York where we did not play that well, but we still somehow managed to survive one of the days. But we're seeing a few interesting things from the Detroit Tigers. Uh, nice to know that they won a series at home. I think probably the last time they did that, it was, you know, like May or something. I, I mean, it just feels like that. They're just tragically bad at home. You and I kind of texted each other about the tragedy that is the Detroit Tigers home record the other night. I mean, I think the run differential before these last two games was greater than minus a hundred. So it's, it's unbelievable. I, I, and I, I tweeted out a comparison to last year, right? Like last year was everybody was freaking out. This is like worst case scenario. This is one of the worst offenses we've ever seen, et cetera, et cetera. And that team ended the season at a point that right now is looking like an uphill climb for this year's Tigers to reach as far as just home record goes. And, you know, they're like a 500 team on the road. So it's, <laughs> I guess, give and take. But yeah, it's, it's remarkable how bad they are at home. It is remarkable. So, I mean, some weird things happening this week. We see uh, Miguel's knee finally acts up with yeah. uh, two and a half weeks to go in the season after he gets four hits, which is just bad karma. I hope they literally do not play him all. I hope he took a shot in his knee and does not play until like Friday and tries to cruise through these last two weeks in moderately decent health so he can go out like the boss that he is. There's really no reason to play him very much. You would agree with that, wouldn't you? Yeah, I, I wouldn't. Play as long as I think you tweeted some about it earlier. Like as long as he can play the last like week or week and a half, that should be the priority. You know, like at whatever 
the fact that he went this long with like, we haven't even had a scare. We haven't even had like an injury concern or like flare up or anything involving him all year, which is nothing short of a miracle. So like the timing sucks, but the fact that we've made it this long without anything is is pretty remarkable for him and the training staff, I think. But right. yeah, whatever gets him to playing as pretty probably every day the last week week and a half of the season that that's what the priority should for be. those of you that don't recall miguel's knee is pretty much bone on bone yeah There's not too much cartilage left in there and it's why the last five years he's been what he's been so he he donated his knee to uh playing many times when he shouldn't have played his ankle's not the greatest either and it's going to be over here in two weeks, but I'd like to see him get some good swings that uh, last week of his career. And he's had a heck of a year. I mean, until these last few days, he was hovering over 300 since the 29th of May. So it's a pretty great way for him to go out. We also had another injury this week. Matt Manning, who had been probably throwing some of the best baseball of his career, um, albeit almost reluctantly in the pitch mix they were making him use. Um, it got hit on the same foot that he got hit on earlier in the year and seemed to know almost instantaneously that it was pretty serious and is now going to be out for the year. Unfortunate for Matt and kind of adds to some intrigue to the offseason, which you and I are going to discuss because, you know, Matt Manning is never thrown over 100 innings in a major league season. We're going into season four next year. And uh, he's actually been quite good, although he doesn't strike out many people. So, you know. Well, you and I, I'm, I'm glad that, that we get to discuss Matt Manning because you and I have very, very similar wavelengths about what pitches he should be throwing the utilization of the fastball we've been talking about since like last off season. Like he, I mean, that's a, it's a, it's a huge talking point and I'm, I'm glad that we get to talk about it. Cause I think, I mean, not to jump ahead too much, but like, I think it's going to be one of the biggest storylines of the entire winter is honestly, you know, once he's healthy, you know, obviously what to do with him uh, long-term. Matt is a conundrum. He, uh, I, I, we've gone over this many, many times. Evan and I have talked about it. I've talked about it on pods with Cody, Brandon and I, Brandon Day and I have talked about it. We, it's just an endless talking point to baseball analysts, baseball scientists that Matt Manning has a great fastball. At 92 miles an hour, it is still a great yeah. fastball. And <laughs> I, the Savant numbers back it up endlessly. And the more he throws it, the better he does. Almost. I mean, if he could throw it, if I could get him to throw it 70%, I would do it. And yeah, I'd Joe Ryan him. He, I don't he, even care. <laughs> like, he, and if you look at his 2022 season, it looks almost a mirror of Joe Ryan. They had two of the seven best fastball Savant numbers. And it's crazy. It it makes no visual sense, but all he does is get people out with it. And, you know, I don't think there's any question that is breaking pitches are much better now. But, you know, Matt Manning wants to, you know, throw four and five pitches. And it's, you know, I, I still am laughing about, you know, five games ago when, you know, Chris Fetter walked out to the mound and basically... I, I there were gloves over people's mouths, but there was just massive profanity that was <laughs> quickly 
you know, exchanged with him. And he, he then walked back to the dugout and Matt Manning threw nine consecutive fastballs after that through <laughs> almost 70% for the next four and, you know, five innings. And I, I think from there, that was kind of, you know, the Tigers communicating to Matt that, you know, throwing 42% fastballs was just not going to happen anymore. Yeah. But yeah, Matt is a conundrum. I would say meaner things about him from an aptitude standpoint. But, you know, look, I think they have to make a decision. Is he part of the long-term plan or is it time for somebody else to see if they can unlock his cooperation about, you know, sequencing his pitches? And there's, I don't think his trade value will ever, you know, be higher or it's it's going to be enough for they should at least be having a discussion about it. I want to get into the big two because we do the big two here on Days of Roar. So the first question of the big two is a little away from this particular topic, which is what do you think should happen to Javi Baez this winter as far as fixing Javi Baez? Because the insanity of releasing him and all kinds of other yeah. fan-oriented nonsense, it's not happening. The idea is you need Javi Baez to be 85% of Javi Baez would be fine, and you need to figure out how to fix them. So I'm curious if you have some thoughts on that. Well, I mean, first off, offensively, I would take 50% of Javi Baez at this point, and I think that that would be a two-and-a-half, even three-win player with how good of a de- defender he's been this year. I, I, first off, I completely agree that there's no possible way he's like, you know, there's a pipe dream that he's opting out. Like, that's not happening. Uh, I don't know how you could trade him. I don't even know how that's even feasibly possible. And you would have to add so much incentive to it that it would then become either uh, not worth it on your end from like, oh, we have to add prospects or like Illich is going to be like, no, we're not paying 70% of this contract for you to, you know, for him to play somewhere else. Like he's here. Um, And I think when it comes to like fixing him, I know that, that you and Ev have, have both publicly said stuff surrounding this as well. But like the biggest thing for me is just hit fastballs. I don't even care. Like I, I don't care about like, the approach, people laugh at the approach all you want. Like I've said this on, on Locked On so many times. Like I genuinely do not care about the swinging in the other batter's box. I don't care even a little bit. I care that he can't hit a fastball anymore. And like that is what back in the day, like that's what he used to do. Like he used to, you know, he, he's put up six and a half, seven win seasons while still swinging at pitches in the other batter's box. Like that's, you know, like he, he, that's always going to be a thing. It's always has been a thing and that's not going anywhere. My biggest thing is just, I, I would imagine that, I mean, just off the eye test that some of it is bat speed, like just tried. But again, like age is, is not going to go in reverse. Like he's not going to get younger. So if it's not a bat speed thing, then I guess that kind of opens the question to the floor about like how you fix it. But what to fix is, is just hit fastballs again. Like that's, that's literally it. He can still bat, you know, like 170 against every other pitch. I don't even care if he can just drive fastballs again and and get a little bit of power back with fastballs and, and do damage on mistake pitches over the heart of the plate. Again, 
I, I will gladly take whatever. I, I think that that can lead to like, again, like a three-ish win player, even with how good of a defender he's been at short. Um, I, I think he can still provide some value. And then you bat him seventh. You know, he, he's never going to be a top four hitter in the lineup again. Who cares? Like that, that is the reality we're in. If he can just do that, I will sleep much better at night. The first thing I would try to get him to do is go to a facility. I mean, look, after he goes home for a month, which I would let him do because, yeah. you know, this has been a nightmare season for Clear him. The head. He just needs to get the hell out of Dodge, to say the least. And, you know, once he does that, you know, Thanksgiving time after, whether it's a place like Driveline or some other hitting facility, some other hitting coach, whether it's the Detroit's, you know, Detroit's own hitting coaches, but he needs to go somewhere. They need to get that out. They need to do analysis. They need to show him things. And he needs to craft a swing that'll be consistent beyond time and hit fastballs. I mean, it reminds me weirdly of the same difficulty that Spencer Torkelson had in sure. 2022. Spencer Torkelson could never be on time. He was late, 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 late. And if he would have played another 20 games, he would have still been late. Right. Okay. And he basically figured out a way how to become a little more athletic in his setup, a little more athletic with his hand placement. He used a half an ounce lighter bat. And, you know, he was on time in spring training, not getting the results quite, you know, of what he's got the last 350 at-bats. But all the makings of improvement were there. And it's something I think that Javi has to commit to. And all we should expect from Javi Baez as a baseline, as a floor, if he can get back to hitting 20 homers and hitting 240, I... I he would be a huge, it, it would be as much as any player they could acquire this offseason if yeah. they could just get him back to that. If he even has an OPS that starts with the number seven, I would throw a parade down Woodward. Like, I don't need, you know, I don't need MVP Javi. I don't need, no. you know, 850 OPS, 35 bomb, like 650 slug Javi. Like, I, I don't need that. If If he can... I don't even, I'm not even begging for like league average OPS, really. If he could literally, if he can just 700 it, you know, if he can 90 to 92 WRC plus it, like I'm, I'm, I I think that he's gonna, you know, his, his war would like triple. Yes. He's a three and a half war player if he hits 20 homers and has a 725 OPS. And I mean, I don't think people give him enough credit for how ridiculous ridiculously impactful his defense has yeah. been this year. I mean, I, 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 I think the the last Yankees game, the 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 last game of the Yankees series, in the first two innings, he made two just ridiculous plays. One that they turned a double play over on. That any mortal shortstop, both balls were hits, and the entire context of the game changes. Instead, he turns it into three outs. And he's done that so many times this year. And he does it where we just take it for granted. And yeah, people whine a lot. He bounces, throws to Torkelson. Yes, he does all that. Guess what? 
Torkelson seems to catch almost all of them. And at the same time, he is getting two balls, both left and right, that almost nobody else in in Major League Baseball is getting to on a consistent basis. So I think that's, of all the things they do this offseason, and we're going to talk about some other things they need to do, fixing Javi Baez just so he is a usable bat in the lineup, a sixth or seventh hitter that's a 720 OPS and 20 homers is got to be at the top of the priority list. Would you not agree? Yeah, well, I, I think the quote you had just a couple of minutes ago was was honestly the spot on like synopsis of it is like that. If, if he does that, that that increase in war, that increase in value, just like amongst your team that you would get from what he gave you this year to what he would give you next year would be more, especially in this, like, I mean, we can call it what it is, bad free agency, like period. That's about as much like as far as pure team value goes of an increase as you can find even on the open market, you know, unless you're going to go get Otani, which they're not. So like, it, it, I mean, it, it's, it, I, I completely agree. And, and the defense point is, is a great one, especially, you know, with how, how poor the defense has been for whoever's been at third base as well. Like he's pretty much, it's pretty much just him over there for, uh, for most of the season on top of that. So like there is value to be had, you know, I, I, that's uh, no one's trying to like go to bat for him and say that he's, you know, like been any better than he is. Like everyone's very right. aware that he's been like arguably the worst hitter in baseball this year. It's been a ca- absolute, you know, catastrophe at the plate. Um, but arguing that he has like zero value is just as ridiculous. Correct. And the idea, if you understand like a ba- thinking like a baseball person, <laughs> they're not getting rid of them. So you right. got to figure, yeah. you got to, you got to figure <laughs> out how to heal them. That's, right. that's really what the priority is. All right. So let's talk a little bit about what's coming in 2024. Ev, Ev and I have had some long discussions about this and I have my opinion. He has his, I've actually been thinking about it a lot more the last week um, because Jace Young is forcing me to think more about it. But yeah. uh you know, it's kind of a twofold thought, which is, what are your thoughts about, this is the, this is the second question of the big two. Tell me your plans for 2024. And the second part of the question is, what's, what's the Scott Harris plan and what's the Scott Bentley plan? Well, I think that 2024, this offseason is going to be fascinating. I think we learn a lot about kind of the we've already learned a lot it's been a year uh, under Harris right like but I, I think we're going to continue to learn because I think the first off season a lot of people were just like oh you know it's his first one he just got hired a few weeks ago how could you expect him you know to go out there and sign like shovel over a bunch of money and whatnot and right or wrong that that was the situation and that was like kind of a common thing to to throw out there and and this year that's like not the case but the the thing that really i guess the word i'm going to use is just sucks about this winter is again how poor the free agent market is now like the tigers are full of 10 utility players like they can certainly go out there and find uh f- find improvements really uh, all across the diamond they're, they're not pigeonholed into not being able to make improvements but 
you know, you're not going to find that huge 25-ish mil like offensive player that can come in and be like a huge thumper for you. Like that's not that that's just not on the market again, unless you're going to go get Otani, which they're not. And then like Matt Chapman gets all his value from defense. Like uh, people, people, <laughs> that's a whole different conversation. People have a lot of opinions about Matt Chapman for a guy that would come here and have like a 770 OPS. So like, it's, it's a, it's a, I, I think if you would have asked me in March, I would have said that the Harris plan was for him to, take the first year, see what he has. And then year two, he would spend this upcoming winter adding a like way more pieces than he did in the first winter. But now the closer that like becomes a reality and the closer we get to it, I think that the Harris plan is probably going to be relatively conservative on the free agent front again. Um, and the only, I'm not, I don't know. I, I'm not trying to walk a line or walk a fence, but like it's hard for me to really disagree with that with how poor the free agent market is. Um, the biggest thing I want to see, and this is, I guess, kind of something I'm hoping is part of the Harris plan, but would certainly be a part of my plan, is I need trades. I, I think that this is, this is like the, the prime offseason for you to trade, especially, you know, we talked about it as well, the trade deadline, like you are in a position where you can trade arms for bats. And I think that that's a trade-off that you don't want to deplete your system, but like that's a trade-off that I think the Tigers should be very interested in making. And if you're not going to go out and you're, there's not a bunch of free agents available, then I think that it should be at least a conversation to go into this winter and go, you know what? There's some tradable assets in this organization. And we have log jam might be a little too aggressive, but like we have, have populated positional groups as well. Like we have a ton of lefty outfielders organization wide. And most of them are around major league ready or in the majors right now. Like I think that you're in a prime position in a, in a weak free agent market. The Red Wings did it too. Wasn't the greatest free agent class. Guess what? They made a trade. Like, I think that that's something that would certainly be a part of my plan. Well, here's the deal. Let's walk around the diamond. Okay. Sure. So first base, obviously. Yep. Spencer Torkelson, right? Yep. Second base. Don't know, right? Don't know. Shortstop, Javi Baez. Yep. Third base? I think I think it should be Colt Keith, but with the way that September has been handled, it, it makes me somewhat hesitant, but like I don't know why it wouldn't be Colt Keith. It has to be Colt Keith. I, I, I'd agree with that. Again, like uh, unless you're... Like, I, I don't think they're going to be in the Chapman market. And unless you like magically have repaired your relationship with Jamer after last year, like I, there is really, you, everybody should kind of be leaning Colt Keith at this point if it's not one of those two. Look, based upon everything, if he's not starting at third base, he's got to be starting at second base. Right. And or one or the other. Why he's not here, I've had this rant for so long Same. now, yeah. I'm not even going to bother with it, Same. okay? But the answer is, he needs to be in the lineup somewhere, opening day, period, end of story. Let's just make it a given, okay? I agree. All right, left field. Um, Geez, I mean, I guess that's a somewhat similar, but maybe not as absolute conversation with Justin Henry Malloy. Um, 
I would say that at best, it's probably a we don't know. I, I'd say Riley Green's your left fielder. Oh, sure. Year. Fair enough. Yeah, fair, fair enough. I guess right, left. Yeah, whatever. One center, of the corners, sure. C- center field. Parker. Okay. Right field. Uh, Carey. And then if Carey's your DH, then then a question mark again. Right. So let's go with, let's go with Carp. I have my own opinion about that. We'll come back to it in a second. So if Carp is playing right, let's say 80 games. Okay. Sure. Let's say... 40 games, he's the DH. All right? So, leaves 120 games at DH, leaves 80 games in right field at a bare minimum, unless you go get a right fielder. Okay? Catching, I think, is pretty pretty easy. You know it's going to be J-Raj, and I'll be flabbergasted if they don't pick up the option of Carson Kelly, who has been nothing short of everything they could have prayed that he was and actually has room to be even better than he's been. Okay? Yeah, there's certainly still room to grow there offensively, but I, I he's handled the pitching staff fantastic. He yeah. walks. So defensively, he's been great. And he walks. Yeah, and, which... and, and and he has more power than he's shown, but he's he's hit enough that I'm not covering my eyes. Okay? So the answer starts being second base. So now... I have not watched young, usually, you know, my skill being as old as I am and as much as I've watched and as long as I've been around all this stuff, both inside and outside, is I, I need to watch people before I marry the idea if they can play or not. Okay. I can watch highlights and that's good, but I need to watch game action. Okay. So, uh, before I start anointing, Jace Young, I need to see him play in game context a little more. I'll tell you what we're going to do. I'm going to take a we're going to take a fast break. Then we're going to come back. We're going to talk about Jace Young. We'll be back in a second. All right, let's talk about Jace Young. Jace Young has gone from I had a really good year to borderline uh, uh, being a revelation at this point. I mean, this this last six weeks is just, oh, my goodness. And uh, he's just pounding baseballs, you know, into souvenir land day after day after week after week. The other part that's really interesting is uh, he walks an awful lot at the same time. Um, we can complain about... We don't know if he can handle things defensively, and until I see him play, I'm not going to make an answer about that. I do know he has a decent enough arm to make relays and turn the, turn the double play. Um, and I got a feeling from a positioning standpoint in the major leagues, they're going to help him with, I don't think, is a big secret, you know, a range issue. But the question is, how soon is he ready to play in the major leagues and I don't think we know that answer yet, but it might be sooner than we think. Yeah, you know, well, I think the interesting, like, <laughs> I, I I find it fascinating when I think of who drafted Jace Young and then, like, who's in power now and how different his trajectory, even if all the stats are exactly the same, how different his professional career, like, might end up being at the very beginning. Like, if... 
Avila was still running the team, I think we'd be like, he might be here. Like, because like, that's why on draft night, that was one of the reasons cited as to drafting him. They were like, yeah, the Tigers need offensive help as quickly as possible. This dude's a good college hitter. Those like profile usually as the, the quickest risers through the system. You know, the Angels have somebody <laughs> debuting that they drafted the, this year, like every season now. Like that was like one of the reasons as to why he was drafted. And, and I think if if it was the old regime, I genuinely think he might have been a September call-up. Like, I think he might be here right now, whereas now we have someone in place who has been extremely, like right, wrong, or otherwise, extremely conservative about calling players up and, and I mean, even adding them to the 40, whatever, we can go down that rabbit hole. But, like, so I, I think... I would say that like he's had a good enough year where even if you're not comfortable with penciling him in as, and they probably shouldn't be like fully confident in him being the opening day second baseman, you know, maybe they get a, a better utility player <laughs> that's not a waiver pickup to like, you know, kind of raise the floor of what can happen at second base. And then like Young can be the option, whatever, in May, if they want to manipulate service time, whatever, whatever. But like, I, I think we might be at a point as well with Harris where like, Oh, if he has to be like really good defensively, or if he has to, you know, like do X, Y, you know, run bases better, like whatever that they pinpoint as like what he needs to be better at. I think there's also a reality where we're sitting here at at the beginning of September next year. And he's still in the minors too. I, I really go back and forth on what Harris is going to do a lot. I know for me, I would like to see, I mean, Again, maybe not opening day. Maybe that's a little too far fetched and too quick of a riser. But like, I would put him up here in the first half if he hits well to start off the season next year. Well, I would say that it's almost a guarantee he's going to go play in the Arizona Fall League for sure. Okay. Um, and I don't have an answer. I need to see him play more. But I find a lot of positive things about why he's succeeded so much at Erie and I think he has a lot of baseball aptitude. I, I love guys with baseball aptitude. They they take what they do well and then they adapt to the circumstances that they're in the environment that they're in. And I think what Jace Young has learned how to do in Erie is he walked a ton at West Michigan. He he struggled a little bit at times at West Michigan too, but you got to understand the nature of command of high A. Walking is, if you have a good eye, part of the deal. And struggling is probably, there's some level of frustration of not seeing enough <laughs> quality pitches strikes, to hit. Yeah. yeah. So at Erie, seeing a lot more strikes, and what I think he's come to learn is what he can rake and I really have a lot of admiration for that. I mean, his walk rate is still over 10, and he is now hammering things, you know, over the fence, you know, on a two and three time a week, <laughs> you know, you know, just endless streak here. He's, he's up to, I think, how many, 26 or 27 homers on the I'm year? 27, yeah. yeah. So... I mean, I don't think the power's in question. I don't think the plate discipline is in question. And the question starts becoming, look, you're going to grow a team. If Keith is going to play and Meadows is going to play, you might want to think about having Young play too. 
So if he deserves it. Now, what it does, and I want to get back to talking about lineups, is it makes your lineup insanely left-handed, which can be problematic. And you also then have essentially three rookies in Meadows, Young, and Keith all playing at the same time, which would break about every unwritten baseball rule of player development that you ever wanted to hear. But, you know, my my opinion, and I've talked to many people about this, and it's my own personal bias about it, but, you know, the other idea would be is to get a power-hitting right fielder, even if he only had a year of team control left. I mean, look, Hunter Renfro has been on a one-year contract for six seasons. Right. He also hits 20 homers, gets 245 and hits 20 homers and fields acceptably, if not great, okay? But he he's useful, and he would be the kind of player in a Tiger lineup adding some power, a guy that hits 20. Um, and the way Hinch is clever about using people, he'd be an effective player. He will be an available player. My personal choice, and my buddy Raj Castillo will – always loved this because he's been begging for two years, but you know, look, Ty- Tyler O'Neill have a year left until free agency. And I don't think there's much question. The Cardinals are dying to move him this off season. Yeah. He's also a guy that hit 34 homers once has good enough defensive chops to play center field if he needs to. And I think would be a really interesting guy to play a lot of right field for the Detroit Tigers. God knows they have all kinds of fringe players to trade. They have pitching to trade. I mean, you know, I I would expect, I'm not saying they're going to trade Matt Manning. I'm not saying they're going to trade Bo Brisky. I'm not saying they're going to trade uh, Akil Badu, but I would not be shocked to see all three of them not on the team next year. Okay. And I'm not saying you're trading Matt Manning for Tyler O'Neill because I I'm not sure that's equal value in exchange, but I don't think it'll be real difficult to get Tyler O'Neill. I would trade Bo Brisky for Tyler O'Neill in about two seconds. So I I think it makes the team really interesting then because all of a sudden Tyler O'Neill's playing right field and Carp is DHing. Yes, I'm sacrificing Jay Hens at bats for Tyler O'Neill. And we can have that discussion and it's a worthy debate. But, you know, let's be really blunt about it. Justin Henry Malloy does not have a position defensively on the field. Yeah. He does not throw well. He's not a real, very good outfielder. He for sure is not a third baseman. He's probably a first baseman. And I think that Spencer Torkelson's probably the first baseman next year. Uh, and I'm being facetious when I say that. So, you know, there's not a not a place for him to really play. And the idea of having a guy like O'Neill or Renfro play right field and mixing them in the mix and having Carp play DH and other people DH and having essentially eight positions on the field that could hit over 20 homers is kind of intriguing to me. <laughs> so, yeah, well, uh, and then like you said, defensively, I mean, that – if you had a defensive outfield on opening day of O'Neill, Meadows, and Green, I mean that's that's a you know dare I say premier defensive outfield yeah, pretty much off rip. Pretty interesting. 
Yeah. Okay. So, you know, it, it, what you, you know, what you're getting there is pretty great. And, you know, it's, uh, it, it, it's just fun and food for thought. I mean, look, they have enough parts. They need to start thinking about getting more aggressive. You know, my biggest issue with Scott Harris is it it takes, you know, it, 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 if you can't be aggressive, you probably are an assistant general manager. That's my nice way of saying it. I mean... I, people don't like when I swear on here, so I'll clean it up by saying that. Um, <laughs> I'm and, in the same boat. All right. So, I mean, as far as pitching staff goes, obviously Casey Mize is coming back. You have Tarek Skubal. Your thoughts on, you know, trying to work out a deal on Erod? What's your thoughts about that? You know, I I think. <laughs> I, I wish we had a time machine and we traded them, I guess is really my, my, uh, my starting point. But I, I think that it's a really fine line. I, there is always going to be a place in my rotation that I build for a pitcher like Eduardo Rodriguez. Um, the, the profile ages well, that's always good. But um, a, a lefty that just pounds the strike zone uh, there is 100% of the time when I am building a rotation, there is room for that in it. Uh, whether he, you know, when the, when the Tigers are at their peak, whether that means he's, you know, a one or a two versus a three or a four, whatever, there, there is always a place for somebody who has the profile and the makeup of uh, a weak contact precision, you know, lefty uh, like, like Erod. So I am definitely not opposed to bringing him back. I just think that, the line is is very fine between what the price might end up be because he's opting out, right? Like he's opting out. He, he's not he's not going to opt in. You're going to have to rework the contract to some extent, uh, whether that's adding a year on a pay raise, probably both. You know, you, you're going to have to you, obviously you're going to give him a new deal. So. With that, I, I think I have no issue bringing him back. I just don't want it to be, uh, oh, well, we're doubling down on a mistake we made by not trading him. So we're going to end up like overpaying him to because we don't want to make it us look bad because we didn't trade him and then he's going to walk for nothing. I, I want to walk that line of like, I'm more than welcome that he comes back, but you know, I'm, I'm not going to pay him. 25 plus million AAV either. So I think it's a, it's a fine line to find that balance. But I, I as far as a priority goes, you're going to have to sign a starting pitcher, even if you bring Erod back, in my opinion, need innings. So like, if you want to start with him and go elsewhere, I'm fine with that. Yeah, I think I've been on record many times discussing what I think Eduardo's value is. I think, you know, he's a, a four-year... $90 million kind of contract. And if you want to give him a vesting option for a decent amount of money for the fifth year based on performance as part of the deal, you know, whether it's five, seven, ten million dollars, you know, if you want to walk away from him, I I would try to negotiate a less onerous uh, no trade clause than they did this time. <laughs> Probably um, not a bad move. <laughs> and I, I think I've said my piece on how badly I thought Harris. Yeah, same. Uh, said at the poker table on that, but um, 
you know, if they can do those things, I, I'm, I'm all on board giving them a deal like that. I would, I would sign them for 490 plus some money in a vesting option all day. I think it gives you two really, really good left-handers. And I think that I, I like to tweet this quite a bit, reminding people who live in fantasy land. Um, there's only one pitcher on the staff that's ever thrown over 150 innings in a yeah. season, and it's uh, Eduardo Rodriguez. So before you start massaging yourself to the idea that, uh, you know, you have some really good starters, you know, the problem is you got to throw 825 to 850 innings in the major leagues this year. You know, these these days, you know, from your starting staff, even at a reduced amount of starter innings. And you do need some guys that can throw close to 150 innings. And I think I feel pretty comfortable with the idea that he can do that most of the time. And again, not the greatest market. Like, you know, pitching is a little bit better than hitting, but like, oh, again, like we can pretty much just scrap Otani. He's not going to pitch any next year anyway, but like, Nola, I guess. I'm, I mean, sure. If you want to go pay Aaron Nola, I'm not going to complain, but like, yeah. you have Nola, but like, Urias is now like probably like who knows what's going to happen with that situation. He was like one of the better pitchers. That's not probably going to be a priority anymore. And then you're like, you go down the line and like very quickly, you're just like Blake Snell. He's like notorious for not giving you like consistent innings. Like then you're just right back in the situation where, oh, like, you know, a lefty that looks like Erod kind of would fit this rotation pretty well. So yeah, I I think it's definitely one of those things where I've, I'm totally fine with, I think yours. I mean, I you're going to contract you gave is like a little over 22. What is that? 22 yeah, and a half a year. Right. Like I'm, yeah, I'm fine with that. I mean, Blake Snell's going to get an awful lot of money. For I mean, sure. He's, he may win this. He's got a chance to win the Cy Young in the national league. It'll be his second one, which is kind of amazing. Yeah. But, but Blake, Blake Snell is really, really good. The question is, do you want to give him five years, $140 million? Right. Okay. Um, you know, I don't, I'm, I, I, somebody will, I promise you. Okay. Agree. Aaron, Aaron Nola. Oh my, yeah, I, I can dream on Aaron Nola. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm a big Aaron Nola guy. I, I talked to Matt Winkleman about what his issues are this year. I've tried to do some diving on what I think they are. Some stuff to do with his fastball and making bad pitches. And I also think he has a lot of PTSD from pitching in Philly in that ballpark. It was funny. People were talking about Torkelson hitting homers this week. So I did a dive on 27 homers for Torque. Um, if you, you know how on Savant, they extrapolate, you know, if you played in other parks, how many homers sure. you'd have. So believe it or not, if Torque played, all, you know, all his games in Comerica, he'd have 27 homers. It was, it was, you know, people thought it would be so much better. He and he's been che- <laughs> well, he, he's, uh, you know, I mean, you know, Jerry Mackinan and I collaborated on a, on a piece about two months ago about pull and lift, baby, pull and lift. And sure enough, holy smokes, it's been a revelation. These, you know, we, we, we were all for the Isaac Paredes method of hitting homers. But my point is he had 27 homers. Meanwhile, the craziest number when you extrapolated it was he would have 37 in Philly. That's a huge difference. So if you think about being a starting pitcher in Philly for, you know, eight, eight years, 
Yeah, it would probably be wearing on you by now. Okay. Um, That's wild. Yeah, it's pretty wild. There were some crazy places where people, I mean, Tampa, actually, he was really good in San Diego. It was, it was pretty nuts. If people want to go back, go, go look at uh, Torkelson's Savant page, page down to almost the bottom and it'll, there'll be a, uh, you know, a grid with all that info on it. It's pretty fascinating. But, uh, you know, Aaron Nola pitching in Comerica with Fetter and Lund. Yeah, kind of interesting to me. I have no idea how much you'd have to pay him. It's not going to be cheap. Yeah, no. But it's going to be cheaper than if he was Aaron Nola this year. Because right. he was, you know, he's like at a 450 ERA and he hasn't been that good. Now, he might be good in the playoffs for Philly because he was good last year. But uh, and Philly should be fun in the playoffs. But Aaron Nola, I could dream on Aaron Nola. If they wanted to make a splash, you probably wouldn't hear too much complaining from me. Okay. The question becomes, and I think I, I asked, I don't know if I asked you this today. I asked Brandon this today. And I talked to my buddy John Verberg today, who's pretty good at this. Is our is it our, is Sawyer Gibson Long, who I, I gotta tell you, I've watched him in the minor leagues a few times and I watched his stuff play here, and I thought it was a lot sexier looking today than I've seen it before. And Reese Olsen, who I have never been a fan of, and what they've done to him, if you put it on, you know, Fetter and Lund's res and Nieves and Lund's resume for how they've improved the command of all of his pitches in the major leagues is nothing short of astounding. Okay. Um, are those two guys starting pitchers next year in the rotation? Because legitimately they could be. Um, and do you believe in it or are they relievers? That's the question. For sure. Well, I, I think, and you and I have, have talked about this a lot, <clears throat> but I, I think for Olsen at this point, I, I'm just, uh, if he can even have, and, and the last couple of starts, he's been getting a lot more, he's kind of like Matt Manning it, where it's like, it's not a swing and a miss, but it's getting out type of pitch. But like the fastball is still like, I'm still not a hundred percent sold on the major league fastball from Olsen, but like the slider is, is phenomenal. Like every single outing, the, the like everything points to that pitch being a a huge plus pitch. I love the changeup in his last outing. I think that that's been a huge plus. And like I, I was never huge on Olsen either. Like when he got called up, I, I the the lockdown episode where he got called up, I was like, yeah, you know, like it's fun, it's exciting, but like, I really don't know how this like stuff. And again, specifically fastball is like really going to play and he's been phenomenal. And and obviously he, and then as you said, those three guys deserve a ton of credit, but I, I think like, I, I'm not opposed to both of them being in the starting rotation. I love Sawyer Gibson long. I've been a huge fan of his all year. And, and I thought his outing on Sunday was great. The The issue I go back to is the same issue you pointed at earlier, which was like, you, you still need some sort of, whether you want to call it a safety valve or like depth or, or whatever you want the terminology to be in the rotation. Like I, I'm not sold on 
throwing both of those guys in there and then, oh, we don't need, like if we just re-sign Erod and then just like do that, we'll just have all the starting pitchers we need like guaranteed next year. I I don't really subscribe to that either. I think they need to go out and and get to your point, like innings. I, I like and and a I, in principle, I'm fine with it, but I, I still have worries, honestly, more with Olsen really than than Sawyer Gibson Long about you know how many innings is he going to give you over the course of a full season. O- Olsen, the ability to consistently become more consistent with his stuff. I, I tip my hat to the guy. I, I mean, from yeah. where it was last year to this year, where it is from the time they recalled him to now is borderline astounding. Remarkable. Okay. Um, which also encourages me what they could do with SGL because I, I just, they, they didn't even understand how to really optimize them today with sequencing because it's the first time they really got a chance to see him. I'm sure he's going to throw some, he, he threw very few four seam fastballs today. And I'm sure as the next two starts he has, he will throw more of those, not for strikes, but at the top of the strike zone to mix with his change and his cutter. Okay. Um, and it was really interesting stuff. Guys that throw 92, 93 that are an un, you know, a not fun at bat are rare, but it means they have a ton of wiggle in all their pitches and the tunneling is really, really good. And I saw that today and I was very pleasantly surprised at what I saw. And I think it's a mix that can play and it can play start after start so a change up is nasty uh, it was uh, it was all nasty and yeah. it, it, it was fun I, I don't know if I'd throw Olsen and Sir Gibson long back to back I would split them up but it was fun stuff alright we're going to take our last break we're going to be back in a moment so we saw Alex Fado this week come in as a reliever and I was curious if you were as pleasantly surprised at what you watched for a two inning stint of Alex Fado as I was. Yeah, uh, very much so. We talked about it a lot on my show too. Like th- that is, and that's been something, you know, it, it, it makes you when you, when I have to reiterate it after every single start he has, it makes me sound like I don't like the dude, but like for, I mean, a while now it's kind of been the writing has been on the wall of like this dude could be a really really solid reliever multi-inning reliever for this team um it's just like the numbers skyrocket second and third time through the lineup and when he only has to face everybody in the lineup one time he looks like that and i am a huge believer and uh and supporter of fiedo being like, again, like, you know, you don't want, he's had injury problems. You don't want to overwork him, obviously, but you could say that about anybody. Like I, I'm a huge supporter in him being like a prominent part of this bullpen next season. I, I, the, the stuff has always, you know, the, the pitches that he does have two and a half pitches that he does have, like have always been a reliever profile, but a good, like a, a, a good reliever profile. I think 
people always like want to be like offended or, or say, hear that and have negative connotation towards it. Like, no, like that's, that's still good. Like I'll gladly take a, a solid multi-inning reliever from Fido. That would have immense value. Yeah, I'm, I was really pumped with the outing and I'm pumped about next year for him as well. Yeah, it, his stuff definitely played up. I mean, he, he was much more towards 95. Yeah. Often it really played well with his slider and, you know, he becomes, it's much easier to envision him as a two-pitch pitcher than as a reliever, than as a starter. Um, I still hold out some hope for Joey Wentz. Just been a nightmare season for Me Joey too. Wentz. <laughs> I he just you know it just shows you how important command is and yeah and but you know the other question that many people have asked and I'm curious to what your your thoughts about this is you know but look Michael Lorenzen since a no hitter has not been very good for Philly. He's not been terrible, but he has not been great either. Um. But he's going to be a free agent. He really thrived here, um, and as a as a four or five starter inning eater, he was pretty damn good. And I, you know, I would for the right contract, I would be having discussions with him to come back. You got any thoughts about that, or you want to find a new version of Michael Lorenzen? No, I, I'm not against it at all. I, I think that. I mean, if you get, you know, find another Michael Lorenz, and if, if you do that successfully, I'm obviously not going to be upset. Um, I, I think that, again, like you look at his career and then look at what he did in half a season of Federer, Nieves, Lund, right? And it's just clearly night and day. And I, I give Lorenzen obviously uh, a ton of credit, but this this coaching staff a ton of credit as well. And I... I think I'm not against bringing him back again. Like I, I just had a whole spiel, right? Where I like, I, I still think that there is a lot of innings that are still like left on the table that they need to bring into the starting rotation this winter. Um, so if that comes in the form of Michael Lorenzen, I, I'm not going to be upset whatsoever. Um, I, I think if they want to find the like next Michael Lorenzen, uh, they, they best be right. Because if they're not, then I, I think that starting pitching depth could get pretty thin pretty quickly uh, in like, you know, June, July, which is now a position you want to be in. And what about potentially signing, spending a couple of bucks on a higher end leverage reliever to go with Lang and Foley? Yeah, you know, I, I go back and forth about just paying relievers in general, I, I go back and forth a lot on. Um, I, I think that maybe I'm just like, uh, I'm, I'm a child of the Dombrowski era, maybe <laughs> a little bit too much in terms of uh, how, you know, like I, I look at assembling bullpens, but like this, this uh, again, like I guess we just keep defaulting to it. Like this coaching staff has, has, like this year, I was genuinely worried in April about how this bullpen was going to perform. Like very, and it's been been better than I thought going into the season. And last year, you had a ton of bounce back seasons, revelations. You know, Joe Jimenez hadn't had a good year in three years. Michael Fulmer hadn't been healthy or had a good year in in years. Like you, you had, you've had a lot of success stories out of the pen where. I don't think it's necessarily like a must to go out there and get. I don't think it's like a top priority. 
Um, but I also love the the concept of actually giving this already great coaching staff then somebody who like has a pedigree and has talent and like you know the heights that they could reach you know as a, as a tandem is certainly intriguing as well so i'm not against it i just don't think it's you know probably priority 1 2 or 3 this winter see scott here here's what we don't factor in enough when your team is good you're leading going into the seventh, eighth, right. and ninth yeah. a lot. Okay. Very true. And, you know, you can kind of get away with two, two and a half guys when you're winning 75 games. If you're winning 90, now guys that are throwing in leverage are, you got to have more than two. So, because otherwise they'll be dead by, by July 1st. Yeah, right. June. So, what I'm trying to think about is another guy of the caliber of Foley and Lang or even somebody better. It, I, I think it's money well spent. It, it spreads them out a little more and it tries to foreshadow the idea you might be good. So, uh, it's something I hope they give, give some thought to. And I think this offseason is going to be very, very interesting for Scott Well, if Harris. you're not going to spend on hitters, you know, if you're not going to make a splash offensively, you might as well uh, sign a, you know, a starter and a reliever or two. I'm certainly not against that. I mean, look, even even if they bring back Erod, th- their payroll is going to be oh. 65 or 70, they $70 million. so dollars. much money that it, like, A, coming off the books, but B, I mean, even a bigger, you know, broader topic, but like, you know how many dudes that are in their first six years that like aren't going to come back next year as well? Like, and not that that's a ton of money, but like one after another after another, it you know adds up a little bit. I, they they're going to have plenty of resources to uh, to go out and, and get people if they choose to. All right, la- last before we wrap up, Parker Meadows zero for nineteen this week. Uh, it was a quiet 0 for 19. It wasn't like futilely striking out all the time. Um, hit into some bad luck a few times. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how he weathers this week. I mean, the first two weeks were <laughs> just a, you know, a beautiful thing. This week, 0 for 19. He has not had a hit since last Saturday. So... Uh, be interesting to see what, what we see from him. I mean, obviously the defense hasn't degraded at all, but I'll be curious to see how he weathers this and how he deals with the adversity. Yeah, for sure. I, I think, you know, the, the biggest, um, I don't know, question mark is probably the way to put it that I have had about Meadows his entire major league stint so far has just been the K rate. Like, I, I just don't want to see it spike too terribly much, but, um, and it hasn't like, even it, uh, as to your point, like even amidst this stretch, like he's not going out there and going over four with three Ks every night. So, um, I, I think that, um, uh, as long as the, the K rate doesn't spike too much. And also he's been like walking uh, at a decent clip, as a major leaguer as well. So as, as long as those two like underlying numbers kind of remain the same, 
Uh, I'm not going to be too terribly worried. But the second that that K rate starts getting a little too high for my liking is, I think, probably when I, I start sweating a little bit more about it. But I mean, for right now, and then to your point as well, he is immense value in center field. He is a joy to watch out there, yeah. genuinely. You know, when it comes to rookies, I'm a big believer. I almost love to watch him struggle because the adversity yeah. is what makes you a real player. And when you're going to play a whole season in the major leagues, if you can't weather these down trends and these tough weeks or tough months, uh, it's it's a big red flag for me. So I kind of like to get this out of the way. It's kind of you know why I've been mad that Cole Keith hasn't been recalled. Right. <laughs> and Same. Yeah. It, it, I, I I just <laughs> thought it was a good time to invest in having those things happen. All right, Scott, I really appreciate you jumping on during the Evan Petzl wedding week. <laughs> um, you've been an outstanding co-host, and I'm. Excited to have you come back and do the show with both Ev and I. Okay. Um, you tell everybody where they can find you when you're not hanging out with me. <laughs> I, uh, well, you can find me on what, X, Twitter, whatever we're calling it now these days. Um, and my, uh, my ad is Bentley Scotty. And then I am the host of, uh, of Locked on Tigers. That ad is just Locked on Tigers. There's the YouTube. There's, you know, it's anywhere. Podcasts are distributed just like I'm sure yours is. Um, and then uh, if you're a Wings fan, I do. Uh, I host Locked On, co-host Locked On Red Wings as well. Uh, and that's just, again, Locked On Red Wings, pretty easy to find stuff. So um, yeah, and then what else do I do? Uh, freelance for, uh, for, for the news. So, you know, all uh, pulling in the same direction there if you need uh, high school football updates or i think i'm doing tennis here in a couple of weeks all over the uh the state for high school sports covering them as well so all right well thanks for being here you did a great job I was thanks for ex- having me i was excited to uh to do the show with you and uh, we'll look forward to you hanging out with us again uh i want to remind everybody to please rate comment and subscribe where you find all your podcasts especially at the freep where you'll always find days of roar embedded in every single Evan Petzold article. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, our executive producers, uh, Kirk Crawford and Anjanette Delgado. And I don't want to forget uh, Nicole Avery Nichols, the editor of the Free Press. I'd like to thank my grandson, Braden Michael Gorash, who is going to get to talk to his pops here maybe after we're done tonight. And uh, I'd like to say once again to uh, Evan in Savannah, I hope you had a great wedding. Uh, I hope you have a long, long marriage and lots of babies. Um, And we'll see you next week. And to everyone out there, I say peace. Peace.